Welcome to the Your Confident Self Podcast with Allegra Sinclair. Get ready to punch fear in the throat and gain confidence like never before. I'm here to help you become the powerful woman you're meant to be. Isn't it time that you get unstuck and let us see how fabulous you are? Hey, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I always tell you how excited I am to bring this guest to you. And it's true. (laughs) And it's true afresh every time. Particular, though, I think is going to be one of those beyond transformational episodes. My guest today, I met first on social media, which is a testament to the fact that you can meet people online and develop like real relationships with them. I know when I first got online, I thought it was like weird and fake, but some of now now some of my closest friends are people who I may never have met in person. But today's guest, I actually did have an opportunity to meet in person. When my brother passed away, we took our online connection into the real world and she was an amazing, gentle hand, picking me up, meeting me where I was at one of, if not the worst moments in my life, and making me feel seen, heard, and whole, and walking me through something which I know is a gift. Everybody can't do that. So today's guest is the Reverend Dr. Shelley Best, and she's a nationally recognized leader in the faith-based community. She works in community development, and she's the pastor of Redeemer's AME Zion Church in Plainville, Connecticut. And since taking the helm of that church, she's led transformation efforts from the century-old ministry through the Meeting House model to a practice that's more based in hope, healing, and something she calls radical hospitality, which is so delicious. (laughs) But she's also served as the president and CEO of the Conference of Churches. She's the host of a show in Southern New England on Sunday mornings, a radio talk show called Rich Answers. By the time I finish with this intro, you guys are gonna be like, how on earth did you get her? Grace, y'all, that's all it is, just Grace. (laughs) She served on the Hartford School Board and is currently an adjunct at Hartford Seminary. She has a doctorate degree in ministry from Hartford Seminary, a master's degree from Hartford Seminary, as well as a master's in divinity from Yale, y'all. She's a native of Norfolk, Connecticut, where she earned her bachelor's in communications from Central Connecticut State University. She is so many things, but she's also a visual artist who's traveled internationally as a human rights and interfaith ambassador. She has developed a passion for yoga, which she found after the age of 50, and is a certified, is it Hatha? Hatha. Hatha yoga instructor who devotes her practice to the mission of personal and community transformation. I think that's like a $15 million intro for a $60 million guest. Welcome Reverend Shelley. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I am so excited that we finally got this on the calendar. We've been trying for a while, but everything happens when it's supposed to, right? Yes, absolutely. Now I believe that you were just you are such a traveling bee. I'm always following you on Instagram. I'm like, well, where is she now? Were you just in the Bahamas? Just in the Bahamas, Nassau. And it was for a conference for the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. There are churches in the Bahamas that are considered a part of our mission, so smaller churches. Mm-hmm. And I went there to see what was happening in ministry there and see how I might be of service to those that are doing good work there. That's funny. You know, I was raised AME, not AME Zion, but AME. So (laughs) we're related a little bit, right? 
Yes, Amy Zine, we are your poorer cousins. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I wasn't putting on airs. I wasn't trying to be hanky. I just know that I was raised in Princeton at an AME church. Mm-hmm. Still consider that my home church, though I have attended several others. But one of the things that I have found most fascinating as I have gotten to know you better online and in real life is I have heard about yoga for a long time, but typically the people who I knew of who did yoga didn't look like me. I didn't Mm -hmm. find myself in their stories. So when you and I met and you started talking about yoga and I was like, wait, yoga's for us? (laughs) Right. So tell me, how did you come to yoga? And, you know, I was just like you for many years. I wanted to be involved in yoga. I remember my first interest way back in like 1991. I saw a yoga studio that was near where I was living at the time. So, of course, I was much younger and more limber at that time. (laughs) But when I saw the yoga studio in my neighborhood, I was feeling like I couldn't even walk in the door. And it's amazing how you can have this idea in your head that there's places you can't go. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the experience of being a woman of color in America. We get this programming that we have to undo, that there's places and things we can't try. So for me with yoga, it was an interest, but I didn't think I could walk in the door. And sometimes it takes courage to go into unknown territories. So I had this love of yoga for a while. And then I heard about a yoga place near me that was sort of an elite, in quotes, kind of yoga place, West Hartford Yoga, which if you know anything about Hartford, Connecticut, West Hartford is our more affluent suburb. And West Hartford Yoga seemed to be the place that you want to be. And I remember walking in the first time and I walked into the studio and I'm sure that many of your listeners can relate to this. I walked in and as soon as I walked in, the young woman said, May I help you? <laughs> As if to say, are you lost, young one? Right. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'd like to try yoga. And see, it took a whole lot for me to walk in the door because I didn't know anything about yoga. It was just a mystique. I didn't know what I was looking for. And I was scared to walk in. And so she said, well, what kind of class would you like to take? I don't know. <laughs> You're like, what you got? And so then she said, well, you can watch a class if you like. So I stood in the doorway watching a class. How Mercy. I was about to say. And then I just sort of crawled out of that place. And then maybe a year later, I tried again. I went to another yoga studio in our area, and I won't say the name of that place. I walked in, and at the desk were two young, beautiful, svelte young women. And let me just say, I am a round black woman. (laughs) (laughs) I say, I don't say round. I say fluffy, or I say abundant. Abundant, fluffy, Mm -hmm. round, Mm -hmm. Mm curvaceous. Yes. Not svelte. (laughs) Okay. So these two young, svelte women were at the desk, chit-chatting with one another. I'm standing at the desk. And they're acting as if I'm not there. There's Mm -hmm. no one else in the space but those two women talking and I'm standing there and they're chit-chatting. And then I still stood there and eventually they said, oh, can we help you? Mm. And I said, yes, I'd like to try yoga. And they said, oh, have you been here before? No. 
And so then what they did was they said, well, we'll set you up. They took me into the studio and they put me in the one place no one wants to be front and center when you've never tried it. Mm. Completely demoralized. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up having an experience that didn't work out, but I made it through that class. Finally, another person introduced me to yoga and agreed to practice with me. So my friend brought me back to West Hartford Yoga and he happened to practice in the mat next to me. That gave me the courage to walk in. So my first four classes or so happened at West Hartford Yoga, where it's not like it was easy for me to to be there, but I overcame myself. And at that time, I was getting ready to turn 50. And I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm turning 5-0. This is a rite of passage. I need to do something to mark this shift. And so I was thinking for my 5-0, I wanted to go away somewhere or do something significant. So I was thinking I was going to go to Martha's Vineyard for, you know, maybe a month or so. Call well, a whole month. The rates. Yes. Called to find the rates because I had a connection with someone. And they said, oh, well, you're not coming with Dr. So-and-so? And I'm like, no. And they said, oh, well, this is the prize. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't come with Dr. So-and-so, you missed your hookup. Yeah. So they mm-hmm. gave me a whole different price. Okay. And I'm like, well, let me get back to you. And so I hung up the phone. And as soon as I hung up, I said to myself, if I'm going to spend that amount of money, it should be a life changing experience. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how much it was going to cost to go to the vineyard for a month. Mm-hmm. So I hung up the phone and went to bed, woke up at three o'clock in the morning with the voice of the divine speaking to me. See, sometimes the divine wakes me up. And I know it's a God message. And so the voice of the divine said, take a yoga vacation in India at three o'clock in the morning. Now, mind you, I had only had about three yoga classes. And I'm not really crazy about Indian food. So I knew it was a God thing for me to take a yoga vacation (laughs) in India. Because it was just too out there. It it was not me thinking this is what I wanted to do. Okay. So I got up because when you get that kind of voice from the divine, you need to do something like right then. Otherwise, you might miss your opportunity or forget that the divine was speaking to you. So what I did was I got up, went into my office next door to my bedroom and Googled yoga vacation in India because how else are you going to do it? (laughs) And so I Googled yoga vacation and all these ashrams started coming up. And I said to myself, oh, Okay, ashrams. What's an ashram? An ashram is where a guru lives. And then I Googled, well, how do you pick a guru? And then it said, first, you must decide if you want a living guru or a dead one. Mercy. And I'm thinking, living, dead. I take a living one. (laughs) So I put in living gurus, Google images, because I figured if I see your face, I'll know whether or not I want you to be my guru. And so I saw these faces in the midst of the faces. I saw the face of Amma, the hugging saint, lovely woman in the midst of all these men. So I thought, oh, I like her face. So then I clicked on her website and lo, she was going to have a yoga intensive. First, an introduction to yoga for four days, then a beginner yoga class for four days, and then a yoga intensive for two weeks. So it was going to start in two and a half weeks. I signed up for all of them. And in two and a half weeks, I was in India, in Kerala, having signed up for a month of yoga. And that's how I truly began my yoga practice. 
in preparation for my 50th birthday, spending a month in an ashram in Kerala, India with Amma, the hugging saint. So that's how I started yoga. There is so much to unpack in the puppy right there. <laughs> I just, I'm like, um, Shelly, um, Shelly, um, Miss Shelly. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there, but that's a fabulous story. Let me back you up. So let me take you back to a different exit on the turnpike real quick. Okay. So what first attracted you to yoga? Because you said that um, you first stepped into the West Hartford yoga because you had been in love with it and wanted to try it for a while. And I'm just wondering why you wanted to try it. The first time I ever heard of it, I don't remember what it was actually, but the first time I thought about it was I have a friend who used to be a model. And when she stopped modeling actively, she's um, really tall, African-American, and she worried about building up too much muscle, right? So she wanted to keep in shape, but she knew if she just did regular working out, she might like build her body out of typical modeling gigs, I guess. Mm. So she talked about doing Pilates and yoga. And I thought of yoga as like a bendy thing and like something the celebrities did for stress. Mm. So when I started having issues with my carpal tunnel and I was like... And then I think, yes, I had had surgery and they talked about my core needing to build my core back up. And they're like, yoga, yoga, yoga. And I was like, okay, I don't get how the celebrities and um, the bendy people, I didn't understand how that translated into yoga. And then I was like, well, the yoga clothes, I just don't know if I could be like seen out in public wearing that. So I came to yoga differently. It wasn't like I had a love of it, right? My interest developed from somebody saying, hey, this would be good for building up your body. And I didn't understand how that might happen. So what initially attracted you to yoga? Well, I think for me in my undergraduate time period, I had been involved in martial arts. So there's something about body challenges that intrigued me. I also was a military person, so I had the experience of going through basic training. So I've had the journey with the body, even though I happen to be a round, curvaceous, fluffy woman. And um, yoga was something- I just feel like I have to interrupt for a moment because I've seen you in person. You are not round. (laughs) Well, I'm not as round as I was. Okay, because I'm like, you keep calling yourself round. I wouldn't have used round or fluffy. (laughs) Well, you have to understand that um, right now for me in my body, it's the first time I've been under 200 pounds in 30 years. Mercy. Okay. So when I talk about round, it's been my identity for a lot of my adult life. Because of yoga and shifting my lifestyle, I've lost about 70 to 80 pounds in the last three or four years. Fascinating. So that explains it. Cause I was like, why does she keep describing herself as round? I've seen her now. I haven't seen her since Mark's funeral, which was mm-hmm. not even a year ago, but I'm like, did something happen in the last time? Cause she was not round when I saw her, but now I get it. Yes. Older story. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, yoga was one of those things that I wanted to get in touch with. I wanted to have the body experience. And also because I have been on the spiritual path for you know, 25 years or so, I wanted a physical practice that would engage my spirituality, my creativity, and my body. Because I've tried walking on treadmills, I've tried Zumba, and it didn't quite engage me in the same way that yoga does. It helps me to be mind, body, spirit all at once when I'm 
doing the practice. Gotcha. Now, it's interesting that you said you wanted the spiritual connection. I have an old college roommate from my freshman year who I blew her mind because she told me that she was looking at yoga. And I was like, you know, somebody at a church or a friend from a church said that you shouldn't do yoga because yoga is like not Christian. And she hollered for like 20 minutes because she thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever heard of. And then she Googled it and she's like, okay, I shouldn't have hollered because there's a lot of misinformation out there about it. So it's fascinating that you as a pastor were attracted to it for spiritual reasons when I thought at one time, well, I shouldn't do it for spiritual reasons. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Christianity, you know, I love Jesus Christ, but often I am challenged by the rules of the religion and people make up a lot of things. Um, and I think we have to be open that God might be bigger than our definition of religion. And that has been my experience. And I know Christ well enough to know that I can go into different places. I'm not concerned about something jumping on me. And so while yoga is a spiritual practice, I know I am talking to God in it and I know who God is. So I'm not concerned about something <laughs> jumping on me when I'm in downward dog. <laughs> I didn't even know enough about it. And as I sit here, I'm like, I still don't know what downward dog is, but I didn't know enough about it to even know where that was coming from. But she, you know, she's um, a anthropologist by training. So she's like, yeah, I figured out, you know, some people thought, oh, well, that the different poses and such. So anyway, she had debunked those for me, but it was interesting that you were attracted to it for the same reason that I was a little bit hesitant about well, it. And let me just say something like for me, in my Christian journey, which would open up a whole nother story for us, in my Christian walk, when I started to be a more faithful person, I shut down a lot of my other activities. I was a disco kid. You know, I was going out on the weekends and having my um, lustful experiences, we might say, at the disco. So when I became a follower of Christ, I shut down a lot of those activities. Okay. And so when I shut down my sexuality, I started eating chocolate cake in large demand along with pasta and bread. <laughs> and so in, in addition to being- I think Christian, that's called sexual chocolate. Yes, it's sexual chocolate. And so for me as a Christian woman, I shut down my sexuality, started to eat in large demand. And, you know, in the midst of that was a hundred pound weight gain in my Christian faith. So- you know, I think that's a story for a lot of women of faith to talk about what happened to us as we shut down our connection to body because of our spirituality. That's fascinating. Girl, that's a whole other show right there. I'm uh -huh. taking notes. It's interesting, though, when you also talked about um, the appearance of the other people who were at the yoga studio, and you talked about the two people who were svelte, who ignored you, which is a very common experience. And it's funny because it's a very common experience for people of color, but I also find experiences like that to be common for people of different sizes. Right. right? right. So um, it is funny. There's, um, I'm trying to think of her name. I, I follow her on Instagram. I can't think of her name. But she's very much going mainstream. Oh, her name is Jessamine. I'm probably yeah, pronouncing absolutely. it wrong. But I think she's here in North Carolina. But she was like one of the first people I saw who did yoga, who was completely busting that right. mold open, right? And now you see her in a lot of other places. She's 
got, I think she's got some Tampax commercials. I think she's doing something for JCPenney. I believe she just launched a podcast of her own, but she was one of the first people who I saw physically doing yoga who looked different than all the other people. And there's another person called Diane Bondi, and there's a whole movement called Bondi Yoga. Yes. And so she's one of the people that I consider one of my mentors in yoga. It's all about yoga that can help people have acceptance and receptivity. And so it's a way of teaching yoga, too, where people can accept their bodies instead of being so self-critical. And so that's a large part of what my yoga practice is about and why I became a yoga teacher, because I admit there are some poses still my body doesn't want to quite do. But I know that showing up in the space of yoga teacher opens a door for other people to enter into practice. So I became a yoga teacher so I could be a model for people that want to be able to come into this thing called yoga and see that it has something for everyone. And so there is a whole movement around body positive yoga. Um, The Yoga and Body Image Coalition is an organization in the United States that really focuses on yoga acceptability and accessibility. It's fascinating that I didn't know all of that was going on. I didn't know there was such a thing as body, body, I can't even say it, body positive yoga. Yes. All of that is fascinating, but the whole body positivity movement, period, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know why I can't think of anybody's name today. I'm being so Southern. Yes, I do. I'm sleep deprived because the Eagles won yesterday and I'm losing my mind about that. But um there's a model whose name is completely escaping me, but you know who I'm talking about. She's on America's Next Top Model, and she's a plus-size model. Okay. And I've seen a number of things recently where people are talking about being bullied on the other end of the spectrum. So people made fun of them for being too small. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, because they're too short? No, they made fun of them for being too thin. So it is fascinating where we are now with talking about loving yourself and being your best self in whatever body you are in, right? Because being underweight and being overweight are actually the same issue, right? Well, the the underlying issue, though, for women is that we are under attack at every turn, and it's something that we have to get a handle on because we should not be harming ourselves on a daily basis, taking in those negative messages, and we shouldn't be harming each other, women harming other women with this kind of bullying about body, when instead we should be appreciating and loving the body that we're in. I used to travel about 80% of the time for work, and I was in airports a lot, and I remember I don't remember. I had to have been 30. But I remember one time I was sitting in an airport and I was looking around and it occurred to me that nobody had a great body. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I was struck by the fact that everybody looked different and nobody looked like people on TV. Right. Or nobody looked like people in movies. And I remember thinking about that for days there afterwards. And I was like, Well, who says that the people on TV or in the movies are the norm if everybody I saw (laughs) this whole week that I was traveling in off all these different cities, if all of us looked like we look, who's to say that those people aren't weird, right? (laughs) And we should be what is more normal. So it is interesting um, as well to think about it from the perspective of when you start to do things or you start to tell yourself stories that are... um, I could go all the way to abusive, but if you start to say things to yourself that aren't edifying, underlying that is that you're saying that what you are is wrong. Right. Right. 
And that's where we need to start. Why is it that you are wrong the way you are right now? Which is one of the things I love about coaching, not dissing other helping things like therapy and whatever, but those tend to start with something's wrong with you and they're trying to fix you. And what I love about coaching is there's nothing wrong with you. You're great right now, right? But you want to go somewhere different. So, hey, let's see how to move you from where you are to that place. Absolutely. And that's part of the gift of yoga as well. You know, it's not just about whether or not you get into the various forms and postures. It's how your mind starts to shift, even as you're starting to appreciate yourself. And that's part of the healing work. And I mentioned downward dog before. It's when you have your hands on the mat and your feet on the mat and you're sort of in the shape of a triangle. So your booty's up in the air and your feet are (laughs) down on the mat. And as your hands are down, you're looking between your legs and you can see your toes and your ankles. Oh, okay. When I first started the yoga practice, I was looking at my ankles. I hadn't really been looking at them up close for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that they were a little swollen at that time and couldn't quite go all the way down. But then I started to appreciate them. Like, you know, ankles, you've been doing the best you could <laughs> carrying me around. Uh-huh. I'm going to appreciate you and not despise you. And that's part of the gift of yoga that you start to appreciate this vehicle that you have been given to get around in. And so that's affirming for your life. And that's part of the gift of yoga that even as you're in the posture, you can kind of whisper a prayer like, thank you, God, for giving me these arms, these fingers, these toes. Love it. It's So there are two other things that are fascinating about that. One of them is... It's a pretty bold move. I mean, that's a fear punch and move right there to decide that you wanted to listen to, did you call it the divine? Mm-hmm. You wanted to listen to the divine and you wanted to take a yoga vacation. And you didn't just say, okay, I want to take a yoga vacation. You want to take a yoga vacation to India. So you get online, and you Google yoga vacations and ashrams or whatever you Google. That's a pretty bold move to go from zero to being in India with the hug queen. I'm sure I'm messing up her name, but you know what I'm saying? So that's like a, I mean, that's, I always talk about punch and fear in the throat, right? That is a throat punch right there to go from zero to being in India for a month. Were you afraid? Well, I've traveled in my life by myself many times before. When I was younger in my twenties, I used to go to the Caribbean. Some of us remember traveling with Stella. (laughs) Stella? Stella. Oh, who got her groove back in the Caribbean. Girl, I was sitting here going, Stella, what is that? <laughs> so traveling yes. alone is a mm-hmm. gift that I gave myself in my 20s. And now that I'm in my 50s, all the more reason, because we don't know how long we'll have mobility and money at the same time and time. And so I think it's a wonderful thing to take on the world and trust as a person of faith, I'm going to trust that the divine will be with me wherever I go. And so I can leave my neighborhood because the same divine that protects me in Hartford, Connecticut can protect me in Kerala, India. I think that's brilliant. And I get that. And I also think as I, you know, I'm always poking stuff. As I look at that, I'm like, I know there have been times when I have been afraid to make what I think are really small changes. And to me, that's a huge one. So I traveled alone a lot too, right? I told you I traveled like 80% of the time at several different jobs for work, but that felt different to me than even as I sit here, I was like, I don't know if I could have been that bold. So for instance, when, um, 
my mother relocated down here because her mother was ill and she decided she wanted to join a bowling league. She'd never been in one before. She wasn't a great bowler. And she just like walked into this bowling alley in a very predominantly white area and walked up to the counter and said, Hey, I want to bowl on a team. And I remember when she told me that, I was like, my mom is a G. I would never have done that. (laughs) Right. Not that that's like the biggest, scariest thing in the world, but it's something that was outside of my introverted comfort zone, right? So I think it's fascinating because to her, that didn't even, it registered a little bit, but her desire to bowl was larger than her fear of walking into that place and maybe people not being nice to her or not feeling welcome or all these other things that she might have felt. And it wasn't that I didn't do that because of those fears. It just wasn't in me to do something that was that bold on a personal well, level. You know, we have little building blocks in order to make moves like this. So one of my crutches and building blocks is this wonderful thing called earplugs, earbuds, that I can go out to dinner by myself and I'll have my earplugs in and I'll listen to music or an audiobook or something like that so I can go alone. So part of it is learning how to be a companion in your own life's journey because for so many of us, we're waiting for somebody, the perfect friend that will go with us or the perfect partner that will do things with us. But this is your one life Maybe that partner's not here yet. Love yourself and go with yourself and trust that the divine is there as a comfort and a partner in the journey. And so it's not to say I didn't have anxieties, but you know, it's an amazing thing. One of my greatest anxiety in that first trip was that I had to get to New York to get an Indian visa and I couldn't take the train. So I had to overcome one of the blocks in my mind that I couldn't drive in New York, even though I live in Connecticut. I had this idea that I could not drive in New York, but I'd held that idea for over 10 years. And you know what? Things had changed. GPS is here now. You don't have to watch a map while you're driving. You use GPS. And it's amazing how we have blocks in our mind, like we can't take on things. We can't try things. So it's one little building block at a time and trusting that you're going to be all right. But life is bigger than the small space you are inclined to keep yourself in. That right there was sexual chocolate. It wasn't cake or anything, but that right there was um, beyond delicious. I want to poke uh, just for a moment the concept of um, being your own companion, because that was just like one of those electric zings. I swear, like my whole body started vibrating when you said that, because that is so powerful. And as we started the year, you know, sometimes people do New Year's resolutions or people come up with a word, right, which is going to be their theme for the year. And since it didn't start at the beginning of the year, it was probably maybe six months after Mark passed, I kind of woke up one day and I was like, okay, self-care is going to be a big theme for me moving forward. And self-care isn't just one thing. So self-care isn't just like going to the dentist or self-care isn't um, working out (laughs) eight days a week when they're only seven, right? Self-care to me is a lot of different things. But when you talked about being your own companion, the thing I thought was so powerful about that was it speaks to an awareness and a connectedness with yourself that is so sexy, Right. Because if you don't have that, then how do you know how best to care for yourself? Absolutely. absolutely. I would go eat out by myself all day long and twice on Sunday and wouldn't even think about it. But 
that didn't have, I mean, that didn't even give me pause. I wouldn't even think about that. I wouldn't even necessarily need earbuds, right? But everybody's thing is different. So for you, it was um, more challenging, perhaps, well, not now with earbuds, but maybe it was at one time to go eat alone, but it wasn't as much to go to India because you trusted that you would be safe there. So the other thing that I'm hearing about that is it's different for everyone and that's okay, right? And one of the things that I'm learning is self-care is different for everyone, right? I think, was it last week or maybe the episode before last week, I was talking about self-care and kind of what it looks like. And one of the things you and I had talked about was, in addition to the courage to travel on, it was like the different levels of self-care. Because when you first started talking about marking your 50th, and I had said I was going to take a cruise, when I turned 50, because at the time I thought that was like the most luxurious, decadent, indulgent thing I could think of. And then I met my little friend, food allergy. (laughs) (laughs) And there are now like 35 identified allergens. So I'm not going on anybody's cruise and lose control of my food, right? There's just, (laughs) that would just be such a minefield, right? So that's not sexy for me anymore, the idea of going on a cruise. But it's different for me. So for someone else, a cruise would be magical, right? So how do you, how did you get comfortable with self-care as a woman, as a woman of color, as a pastor? Because aren't pastors supposed to be like all um, super invested in other people and, you know, selfless? And how did you come to a place where you realized that self-care was critical? Well, I think it's because of those things as a woman of color, I started to recognize how many of my sisters were experiencing profound depression in their lives. So many of us are so depressed and bound. And, you know, if we want to be happy, we have to discover what makes us happy. We can't expect someone else to suddenly show up with this power to make us happy. So that means with some intention, we have to start to pay attention to ourselves to figure out what is the happy code. And so that's all a part of our self-care. I also started to recognize that um, the faith package I had been given was not enough. You know, showing up at church, committee meetings all the time is not the most wonderful experience on the planet. So I realized I had to find pleasure um, on my spiritual journey in another way. So I had to add some things in so I could experience the richness of my soul. And so for me, that's when I started to tap into my love of visual arts, for example. Spending a whole day painting is bliss for me, you know, becoming more of a foodie. So I'm more of a vegetarian pescatarian now, but more intentional about the things I put in my body as self-care, but also letting it be pleasure. I'm not going to eat half a grapefruit and suffer. I'm going to experience good, enjoyable, delightful food. That's self-care. Um, being more intentional about relationships and friendships and rich conversations. It's really, you know, about having real tactile experiences, all being considered self-care. So for me with yoga now, I'm going to yoga probably three or four times a week at 6 a.m. in the morning. That's self-care for me to wake up, show up in the yoga studio at 6 a.m., take care of myself. And then I'm teaching one or two times a week. That's also self-care for me to teach. And it's something that I give back. So I think it's about looking at life and making sure we have all the right ingredients because it's almost like 
we've been led to believe that lettuce alone is a salad and lettuce alone is not a salad. You need the variety of things. And I think in life, we need variety. It makes life worth living. That's self-care. It's interesting when you talked about, so self-care for you is um, conversations. You said like you're, uh, when you're doing yoga, you're having conversations with God, right? You're mm-hmm. talking to one another. And so yoga for you is self-care and getting up at six o'clock in the morning, bless your heart, is um, self-care. For it you. also means I try to go to bed by 830 at night. So I know that's mercy. Do you do that? I aim for bed at 830. Even here at the church, people know that oh, pastor's starting to crash. It's like, what time is it? It must be by eight o'clock. We need to wind this down. We don't need to stay up all night. (laughs) Wow. So it's funny that you immediately went to um, going to bed at 8.30. So one of my tenants, one of the legs on my stool for self-care is about sleep. Mm -hmm. And I have known for a long time that I don't sleep enough. And I now wear a Fitbit, not because I'm uh, tracking steps, but I wear it every night because I want to know about the quality of my sleep. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not a great sleeper. I never have. Mark wasn't either. Right. My sister isn't either. All of us, like we know we need it, but there's mm-hmm. no way. And then there's doing, but, um, wow. Eight thirty. I am struggling to process that. Cause I'm like, I, my evening fight is okay, girl, get in bed and assume the position by two. <laughs> wow. And this week I'm like trying to move it back to get in bed and assume the position and assume the position by one. That is a struggle for me. Cause I'm, as the day goes on, I am more, not less alive. And in my own head, between 10, 15, and 2 a.m., I am fire. Now, whatever I have produced during those hours, if I look at it the next day at like 10, it might not actually not be fiery at all. But when right. I'm doing it at 10 p.m., girl, I think I am working some things out. And, you so, know, I used to be a night owl. Yes. But I had to make a shift in my body to reclaim the early morning hours because for me as a minister, a community activist, a workaholic uh, in the making, I had to make a decision that I needed to reclaim my time. Thank you, Maxine. And so what I discovered was by shutting it down around 8.30 at night, I got the early morning hours from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. is amazing, amazing real estate because most people won't bother you before then. Hmm. So suddenly I discovered between 4 a.m. and 9 a.m. I could paint. I could pray. I could do my yoga. I could clean my house. I could visualize other things I want to do in my life. It's my private time. And so that's why I had to shut down the nighttime hours, because even though I liked being a night owl, I wasted a lot of time at night. I'm watching TV, I'm meandering, I'm surfing the web. I'm not doing my most productive life. And so by shifting my hours to sleep being a priority, and one of my friends says, my, my belief in sleep is almost like religion. And it's true. Sleep is very important to me. I invested in a good mattress. I believe in good sheets. Sheets, I believe in getting that time so you can actually rest. And then that allowed me to have those early morning hours so I can have a life that is my own from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. before work. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. I'm not buying it with my own wallet, but I hear you. But um, And I do believe, it's funny because I'm sitting here, I'm such an analytic. I'm like, okay, if I know I need more sleep 
and I know what time I have to get up to kind of start my day, then I ought to be able to walk backwards to figure out at what point I need to go down in order to get right now. My goal is seven hours. I know eight is magical. I know my goal is seven. When I get that little like buzzing on my arm that tells me that I hit seven hours, it is like magic to me, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't always do that. But I am good at doing some other things and I'm getting better that I think are self-care for me. So um, I used to think of massages as like decadent and something that like rich folks did that I should maybe like buy for other people once a year, but that I should not do for myself. But I've shifted my thinking on that because the massage, while it may feel decadent and all these other things, is not mm-hmm. just like a fun thing. It is therapeutic and it is healthy, right? And it is good for me in other ways where it's for a long time, it felt okay to me to do something like that if it had like a like medical reason or something, right? But just doing something that was luxurious just because was alien to me. And I know part of that was like my personal history. So I have always been really close to older people in my universe. So my grandmother was 96 when she passed. And the last two years of her life, she lived with us. And she thought like bubble bath was beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. I mean, she thought like my fancy soaps and shower gels and stuff. She would look at me like I'd lost my mind. Like she couldn't figure out where she had gone wrong. Right. So for me, for her, those things were just luxuries that she just would never consider. She just didn't understand. And for me, it was like, um, well, no, my shower can be an experience. I mean, if I have to get in there anyway, there's no reason why it can't smell like vanilla mint <laughs> while right. I'm doing it. But for things that were beyond that, it felt like, I don't know, like not exactly that I didn't deserve it, but I definitely had a block against doing that. Now, some of that could have been financial because when I was growing up, we weren't thinking about, you know, massages and, you know, trips to special places or like eating out types of things because they were financial realities that prevented that. Right. But, and I can't think, I've been thinking a lot lately. So when did the shift happen for me? And I don't really know, but I'm really trying to dissect that because I want to help other people find that. Well, you know, I want to push back a bit because so many people in this country poo poo sleep. It's almost a game that we have where we act like, oh, no, I am such a shero. I'm not going to do eight hours. Seven's enough. And that means it's really about six. But I do. <laughs> I do treat sleep as a meditative medicine and practice. I had to shut down other things that keep me from sleep because sleep heals your body and mm-hmm. it helps to restore the cells and everything. So You know, a lot of people talk about self-care, but sleep is a great start to get into that self-care, giving yourself permission to just lay in the bed. The challenge for me isn't that I don't realize the import. I'm going to be honest. I have so many interests and so many things I want to do. And I do feel not a pressure, but an imperative on my life that wasn't there before that I don't know how many days I have. So I need to be about what it is that I need to do. So honestly, I think that sometimes I'm like, well, I can sacrifice sleep 
a little bit in the short term, right? I'm not talking about getting three and four hours. I remember those days when I was young and building my career and I thought it was so cool to be able to brag about how little sleep I had had because I didn't realize that in essence, what I was bragging about was how unproductive I was going to be (laughs) for that day, right? But now it's that there are so many things I want to do and there are only so many hours in the day that I feel like I can just steal a little bit here and there in the short term in order to be able to do some things that I really feel pulled, called, that I just need to get done. All right. (laughs) I think that's the Reverend Shelley version of she ain't ready. You know, sometimes some things are spiritually discerned. This chick is not ready for this lesson. So I'm just going to plant this seed. I'm just going to leave this right here for her so that when she's ready, she could come on back. Is that the Reverend Shelley version of that? Yes, because it is my prayer that one day you'd like to talk more deeply about sleep because so many people, you know, are in a place where they don't have the economics to do a lot of these high level self-care things. You know, some people don't have the tools and sleep is one of those things that could be available to you as a wonderful gift and it can be economical. Yes. And hear my heart. I am very coachable and I do great luxurious sleep on the weekends. I'm talking about Monday through Friday. So my people now know if you call me before 11 on Saturday, you're likely to get your feelings hurt because it's just true, right? It's so funny, right? Because my sister's in a different time zone. She's three hours behind me. Often she goes to bed before I do and she's up and out before me, (laughs) right? So we keep missing ourselves with the time difference, but she'll call me at like 8.30, my time. And I'm like, it's 530 in the morning. What's wrong with you? But she's accustomed to getting up that early to go to work. But if she calls me before 11, my time on Saturday, I'm not going to hear it because my phone is on silent and I'm gone. I get eight or nine on Saturday. And I typically get seven or eight on Sunday. It's just Monday through Friday when I'm just trying to do so much. I have so much that I want to pour out onto the universe and I only have a certain amount of time to get it done. And and that's wonderful. I think one of the things that we don't end up talking about. So I'm aiming for the bed at 30, but I'm also acknowledging the fact that I am a menopausal woman. So even though I may be in the bed, it doesn't mean I'm going to sleep. <laughs> at I'm first fine. I thought you were saying meta something. And I was like, meta what? And then I was like, oh, menopause. Girl, bye. I did not know that's where you're heading with that. <laughs> Okay, so you're saying that you're in bed at eight thirty, but you're not necessarily asleep. See, there is no a difference. Right I'm going to get the whole night of sleep. I get you. See, there is a difference. So when I go down, oh, I'm going. It's just a matter of me going down. So within right. fifteen minutes of actually assuming the position, oh, I'm out, and I stay out until it's time to get up. But yes, um, it's not that, um, girl. I am just. <laughs> I'm a menopausal woman. There's no guarantee. <laughs> At the time I'm in the bed, I'm like, see, a Fitbit would tell you that. Because, see, I call my Fitbit the lion Fitbit because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll get up in the morning and it'll be like, yeah, it took you 30 minutes to fall asleep. And then you were restless enough to be considered awake at three different points in the evening. And I'm like, it's lion. It is just lion. I know I was asleep the whole time. But, yeah, that's why I wear it because I really do want to know when I've had those moments when I really wasn't sleeping well. I, it, it, I'm going to say... <laughs> I can't speak to the how you sleep, if that's the issue, but um, I'm just going to keep it on my scroll that you would get more restful sleep. Because if I was in bed at 830 and wasn't asleep by nine, it would be an issue and I'd have to get back up. 
So I'm loving that you are so clear about what your kind of the line that you will cross around self-care. And I think that's a great goal and great understanding for people to have. So for me, self-care extends beyond sleep, obviously, since I'm, you know, still talking smack and trying to negotiate with myself about that. But there are other things that are top of mind for me about self-care as well that maybe people wouldn't consider to be self-care. But um, I was talking to one of my clients last weekend and he cracked me up because he said he has a rule about he didn't, I'm not going to cuss, but he said he has a no butthead rule. And I was like, all right, what does that mean? And he's like, well, I won't be one and I won't let other people be one around me. And I was like, I like that. I'm not going to put it on a t-shirt because it was all profane and whatnot. But I like that part of his self-care is he shows up in a way that he feels good about how he's showing up. But the other piece that I thought was more powerful was that he does not allow certain things around him. So for me, self-care and a very high level self-care for me is who am I around? Now I'm an introvert. So I am cool being alone, right? I get energy being with myself and being around other people. Even if I love them and I'm having a great time, sucks energy out of me. It tires me. And then I need to go off and recharge my batteries. But I do find that now I'm intentionally being alone more than I would have like a year ago because I'm choosing to be alone rather than be with people whose energy might not match. Absolutely. But you know, it's interesting. I think I went through a period of separating myself. Now I'm in a place where I'm more intentionally looking to expand and build my own personal tribe. I'm recognizing that I do need more fellowship, friendship, relationships too. And so I've spent a few years in my head and more introverted. And now in this season, I'm looking to expand my relationships with others that I'll allow myself to have more fun and especially have those deep conversations. Um, I've been so focused on working and creating things and changing the world that I wasn't pouring enough in myself. And so now I'm seeing that I need to have more relationships with other people. And so more intentionally, it's about cultivating the network of people that I will have sacred conversations with. I do understand. Wanted to make sure that you're connecting, right? Because I think you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about how um, you kind of found the courage to travel alone and kind of to be bold and continue pursuing yoga because you wanted the challenge of, you know, your body and you wanted that commute that communal time with spirit and all those other things. And you continued to pursue it when a lot of people would have been discouraged after that first time when they had you in the doorway as if to say, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking she's th- see, that's the New Jersey in me. I'm like, wait, they had me in the doorway instead of letting me go to a class. I'd have been like, mm, let me show you what my outfit looks like from behind. <laughs> I mean, I would not, I would not have stayed. So I think part of that though, was you saying that you wanted to be out like meeting with other people. And then when the person came and practiced with you, then that opened you up to different people, different experiences and your yoga practice that you've built, right? It's at the 224, right? At the 224 Eco Space in Hartford. And we are building an intentional yoga community there for people that might not have felt welcomed at other places. So I now have a team of teachers that are committed to doing this kind of yoga, body positive, being very Um, accepting of all people that walk in, especially 
um, serving people that have been impacted by trauma. We recognize the, the impact of yoga to heal people that have had trauma in their bodies. And that's part of the gift of yoga as well. And so now we're working on our outreach strategy. How do we invite people in? I had an opportunity to do a special yoga class during a community event that happened at the 224. It was called, it was CERC, Social Emergency Community Center. So it was inviting people in to have opportunities to be exposed to different healing practices. And so there were 30 people that had tried yoga for the first time in my session. We did the yoga as well as sound healing. Everyday urban people in Hartford, including homeless people, young people. I had little kids in the class. One little boy who was like five said, this is my first yoga class ever. And I love I that. that to happen, <laughs> that little people can come in and have exposure yeah. to yoga. So, you know, there are people that want it and it's, it's, hope, it's opening the door so people can experience their tribe. You know, there are spiritually minded, creative people that want some different experiences. We have to create space for them. Well, I haven't been, um, so as we're circling around to getting ready to wrap, I will say I have not been out and done yoga yet. I have done yoga in my living room with my Wii Fit. And then I did a yoga entry-level program from Amazon Prime Video. So I'm not sure if I was doing it right. But you know, the funny thing, it didn't even matter to me. I mean, I wasn't trying to hurt myself. You hear my heart on that, right? right? But I'm just saying that if I was in public, I might have been all wrapped up in, well, am I doing it right? Or, you know, am I doing it well enough? And it's not that I think, okay, so I can just do yoga in my home forever. I probably could. But I know I will want to go out and find somewhere. I just will need to find time to do that. And I'm deaf. That's one of the reasons why I started following Jessamine on mm-hmm. Instagram because I heard she was in Durham. And I was like, oh, now often when she posts that she has a class, like five minutes later, she'll do an update and say, okay, the class is sold out. And I'm like, right. oh, well, <laughs> I think she offers some courses, maybe that are online. I can't remember the site. She does. You know, something like an online university, you can like do yoga with her. I haven't done that yet. I but have part to- of the blessing of yoga is having friends in yoga. So yes, you probably want to Google. Like, well, I was going to say friends in yoga who should, you know, since Connecticut's all cold and whatnot, mm-hmm. they should want to te- to pack up their yoga and bring it to a warmer climate. That's all I'm saying. I mean, we <laughs> or you can Google body positive yoga or accessible okay. yoga. And I was trying find- to get you in my space. You were. Missing. I will come. I will come. I'll have to um, find two or three people to play with us as well. <laughs> I thank you so much for so many things, but I think one of them is being so accessible and for the gentle teaching that I always get in your space and for the openness that I now know you were bringing to all these other things. I was wondering if yoga and the visual arts had made you open, but no, those things came about because you were already this open person kind of meeting people where they are. And I loved the story about the courage to travel alone and deciding that you wanted to live richer experiences. And while it would be great if you'd had like a best buddy or a special person to share it with, but you made a decision not to delay that joy waiting for the other person. And you went on and did the thing. I love that. I think that's one of the most powerful examples of self-care that we covered today. Wonderful. It's been a lovely conversation and I look forward to 
sharing with you again and your listening audience because I love the passion with which you take on this thing, punching fear in the throat. <laughs> it's the only way I know how to do it. I can't <laughs> have that right. I am not, but I tell people all the time I'm a delicate flower, but <laughs> if I am, I'm like a delicate weed. Tell me if they want more of you, where can people find you? You can find me, of course, on Facebook, Rev Shelley, Rev Shelley Best, or the. Oh, is that the whole thing? So wait a minute. If I'm looking for you on Facebook, is it Rev Shelley or do Rev they need Shelley Best? Okay. Rev, actually, Reverend Doctor Shelley Best on Facebook. That's my public profile page. Okay. I'll include a link in the show notes. Okay. Facebook. And my my yoga page is So Yo X, the Soul Yoga Experience. So S O. Yo, Y-O-X, soyox.com, which is the Soul Yoga Experience. And you get a chance to see my yoga practice, learn more about yoga, and we'll be having updates about my calendar of teaching will be expanding. Facebook, Soyox, anywhere else? The 224.org, which is our community space in Hartford, Connecticut, the 224numbers.org which is located in Hartford, Connecticut, which is an eco space where people from all walks of life come together and work, create, and lead. And that's in Hartford, Connecticut, performance spaces, dance, visual artists, entrepreneurs, all happening in one space. We'll have to come back and talk about that because I know that that came about in a very unusual way in a very short period of time, kind of like your zero to be in India in two and a half weeks. Yes. <laughs> I remember hearing about that when we were checking out the space. So I'm thinking, yeah, there's a whole other story. So yes, we'll definitely have to have you back. But see, there's a whole other movie. You just want to be on my show every week. Is that what you're doing? You just letting me know that you just want me to block out several dates on the calendar. Awesome. Thank you so much for pouring yourself so beautifully onto my audience. Well, thank you so much. It was good to be with you. 